Morning, King of Grace, you who are beloved by God the Father, saved by Jesus Christ, his Son, and filled with his promised Holy Spirit, it is good to see you all today. Amen. My name is uh, Mike Lilly. Some of you know me, some of you don't. I was uh, sent out of this church, plant out of this church, I guess would be a better way. Sent out seems a little rough, uh, but <laughs> you leave, go home. No, um, so I was sent out about uh, three and a half years ago, and you all have graciously been supporting me ever since. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure most of you know it as well, but I'm actually the third elder on the, on the team here as well, so I'm still real connected uh, with the church. And then Paul and Toby are actually elders for my church as well uh, down in Salem. So uh, it's always a pleasure to come back and, and see you all and to be able to preach here. Uh, I was supposed to be preaching last week, uh, covering Paul's surgery. It got delayed, uh, but I'm still going to preach the same message. Although Pentecost was last week, you get to hear about Pentecost this week. Um, the topic of the message remains the same then, and we're going to be preaching today from Acts 2. For those of you uh, who may be newer to the faith or just really haven't spent much time on things like, oh, Pentecost or whatever these things mean in the holidays of the church or the, the big markers of the church, uh, Pentecost occurs 50 days after the resurrection um, of Jesus, 10 days after his ascension into heaven. Uh, Pentecost is the day that we, the church, celebrate really the unleashing, if you will, of the Holy Spirit and his work and then uh, that flows out of that in building the church. It's a celebration, though, also of new beginnings. Traditionally, Pentecost is when we, the church, express our gratitude to Jesus for his faithfulness to fulfill his promise from John 14, 16, to send another, a helper, the Holy Spirit. We celebrate the work of the Holy Spirit in renewing all of creation, of which you and I and this body that we belong to are part of. We're part of that renewing. Finally, Pentecost is, is a time when you and I profess our confidence and assurance that the power of the Holy Spirit is still at work today for us in completing the mission that Christ gave us to make disciples and to build his church along with him. Now, from Acts 2 uh, today, we will spend just uh, some, a minute on, oh, well, we'll spend more than a minute. We'll spend a lot of minutes. But we're going to spend some time um, making three points today. And first, I want to prove to you that Jesus is faithful to his promise to send the Holy Spirit. Second, I want to encourage you to see that Jesus is faithful to his promise to his disciples to give them power. Finally, I want to challenge you to see that Jesus is faithful to his promise to build the church through the Holy Spirit, both then and now. So let's read 
together from Acts 2. And yet we're going to read the whole thing. That's, that's a quarter of my message right there. All right. Luke writes in Acts 2, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each, one, each of us in his own language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Liberia belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing up, with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. On your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. He, he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also dwell, will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let the, your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he was poured out. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received this word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles' And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to, to all, proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Amen? 
May God bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word and use it this week to encourage our souls, yours and mine, as we, in the power of the Holy Spirit, press into the work that Christ has given us to make disciples. Amen? Amen. Mouth's a little dry today. Let me ask you, how many of you feel a little anxious these days? It's been a crazy three years. There's just a lot going on in the world. How many of you feel you're like just really uncertain about the future? I was talking to a couple just the other day, and they were like, ah, we don't think we want to have kids. We don't want to bring kids into this. I, that's probably been a story for a lot of generations of people, and that's what I, I kind of say. You know, yeah, we've probably felt like that for centuries when we looked at the world around us. Um, and then gave them a little bit of, of why I believe that there's hope in Christ for our future. How many of you find yourselves thinking, Lord, when will you return? When will your kingdom come? Well, if you kind of answered yes to any of those questions I was just saying, you're in good company. You're in really good company, and I believe you've been in good company probably for 2,000 years because I think Jesus' followers were sort of feeling a lot of the same things after his death. They were gathered in that, that upper room in the days leading up to Pentecost, and no doubt they sat together there in the days following even Jesus' ascension with a lot of concerns and a lot of questions and a lot of uncertainty before them. They had a lot of promises from Jesus, but boy, did they have a lot of questions. Ten days before, just prior to his ascension in Acts 1, Jesus commanded his gathered followers to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And then said that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit and that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit had come upon them. You know, that wasn't the first time Jesus had said something like that to them. Maybe you remember, like, the night before he was crucified, you know, when they're at the Passover feast there, sharing their meal together. That night, Jesus also promised them that when he went away, the Father would send another in his name, the Helper, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would teach them all things, Jesus said, and bring to remembrance all that he had said to them. Moreover, the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Now as chapter 2 of Acts begins, they're being obedient to what Christ told them. They're in Jerusalem and they're waiting. They're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're watching, and they're praying earnestly. Imagine you're in their place. Yeah, be praying pretty earnestly as well. And suddenly there came from heaven 
the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they're sitting. And divided tongues of fire appear. And then it rests on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When the Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus, he didn't come with timidity. But with power and boldness. He came with a mighty rushing wind that filled the entire house. In fact, it was so powerful that that people were coming in Jerusalem, were coming down into the streets to see what had happened. The, The mighty rush of wind got everyone's attention and brought them out into the street. You can imagine, if you've been in anything like that, like I, we lived in Nebraska, we lived in, uh, in Oklahoma, tornadoes were a common thing, you know, and, and it was not unusual when a tornado had come through, people would be out like, oh, well, you gotta, where's your roof, you know, what, where are your shingles, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? Everybody's out, they're all talking about what's going on. In the upper room, though, something else had gone on. The rush of wind may have captured their attention, but it was nothing in relationship to what happens next. Because in the upper room, these tongues of fire, these divided tongues of fire suddenly appear. Dude, I'd be a little freaked. I'm not lying. I'd be just a little freaked out at that point. But these divided tongues of fire come and they they rest. The Holy Spirit had come. They had come to those disciples who were being obedient to Jesus and had been faithful and gathered and waited as he had told. Then they were filled with the Spirit and they began to speak in the tongues of men as it appears here. The Holy Spirit just came just as Jesus had promised, and he came with power, and he came to stay. It wasn't a passing thing. He was coming to stay. Friends, when the Holy Spirit comes, it's not just a one-off thing. He is here to stay. Jesus is still fulfilling his promise. The promise he made to his original disciples is a promise he's still fulfilling with us today. Jesus is still filling believers with the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And as you read through the book of Acts, you see the powerful work of the Holy Spirit really all throughout it. The Holy Spirit doesn't just pass away with the last apostles either. Because if you read the early church fathers, you'll hear them talk about the work of the Holy Spirit as well. He's still here with us today. Now, you may be saying to yourself, well, hey, I, I never experienced a mighty rush of wind. And I didn't see any tongues of fire. Or suddenly start speaking in crazy languages or somebody else's language. I didn't either. Look, when I got saved, I didn't start, I didn't see any tongues of fire. I didn't start speaking in Urdu or, or Arabic or, you know, Swahili. I wish. But no, I didn't. But I have no doubt that I was filled with the Holy Spirit because 
my mind immediately became very different than it was literally moments before. I began to see things entirely differently. My desires changed almost immediately. I can attest to that, and I guarantee if you ask my wife, she can attest to that. That's Enzo over there if you haven't met her. She can attest to that. The changes in my life were dramatic. They began right away, and they were progressive and kept going, making me more like Christ. That was the Holy Spirit working in me. I know the Holy Spirit is there because that is not what I would want to do previously. That's how I know that Jesus is still filling his promise, fulfilling his promise to send the Holy Spirit. Secondly, though, I didn't have a need like those first followers did. So the first followers had a need, right? You and I live in an established church. We've got this whole doctrine of faith around us that we can explain and understand these things. They didn't have that. Jesus said they would be baptized in fire. So tongues of fire resting on them seems quite appropriate for what their expectations may have been. It was the fulfillment of his word to them. And the tongues that they were speaking in were not just signs for them that they had been filled with the Holy Spirit, but for those gathered in the streets. As they heard the disciples praising God in their own language, Jesus was fulfilling another promise. A promise to give them power through the Holy Spirit, as we'll see in our second point. Speaking of power, what do you think is the greatest miracle? Like, you know, what do you think is the greatest miracle that could, you know, when you, when you think of miracles? Maybe you think of like parting the Red Sea. You know, I still see Charlton Heston out there doing that thing. Right? Is that the greatest miracle? Or, or maybe it's like healing someone of a lifelong disease or, or paralysis. Maybe it's casting out a legion of demons. Maybe it's raising the dead. For me personally, I think the greatest miracle that I can, I can even fathom is my salvation. That is an incredible miracle. I know me. I know who I was. I know who I am now. I know me. That seemed absolutely impossible. It shouldn't have happened. Yet, it did. Maybe it sounds silly to you that that's what I think is the greatest miracle, but, but I don't think it should sound that way, right? God, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, gave life to what was dead, my spirit. He took a man who wanted nothing to do with God, who hated God, was a rebel to him, an enemy of God. I was enslaved in darkness, dead to my sins and transgression. <laughs> but to that man, me, me, <laughs> he sent his Holy Spirit and breathed life into what was dead. 
He breathed life into my dead spirit. And when he did, my eyes were opened. I saw light. My heart began to beat with the heart of Christ. And I breathed in deeply the breath of eternal life. In the words of 2 Corinthians 5.17, I became a new creation. The old passed away, the new had come. The second greatest miracle that I can, I can think of happens to be sitting in front of me. It's all of you, because he did the same thing with you. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he's done the same for all of you. We, together, collectively, were the valley of dry bones. And God spoke. And the Holy Spirit blew in. And he breathed life into us. <laughs> we are that resurrected people. Those who had once been just bleached bones on a valley floor. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you and I. But really, this is, this is the whole story that we get in Acts 2 as well. Now let me give you six ways that from the passage that we see that Jesus is faithful to his promise to give power through the Holy Spirit. First, we witnessed... Jesus' faithfulness to his promise in giving his Holy Spirit to his disciples um, as they were filled, as we read earlier, as they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I know I say it a lot. If you hear me preach, I say it a lot. I've said it here. But the idea that you and I are filled with the Spirit of the living God should blow your mind. Every time you think of that, you should be going, oh my gosh, I am filled with the Spirit of God. And you should be going, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for fulfilling your promise. Thank you. You are filled with the Spirit of the living God. That is amazing. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. Unthinkable. Oh my gosh. So, let, let, all right, I'm going to settle down. Sorry. <laughs> let that truth settle into your heart. Let it settle onto your mind and let it turn you to praise. Amen? Remember to thank Jesus for fulfilling that promise, right? Okay, second, second. That Jesus is faithful to his promise to give power through the Holy Spirit is on display in that rushing wind. What does the Holy Spirit use to get people out into the street and talking about what sort of sign or omen it might be? This mighty rushing wind. This rushing wind was intentional. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. It was coming in. It grabbed people's attention, and it got them out into the street, and it prepared them. It prepared the ground to receive the seed that Peter was going to be planting as he preached the gospel for the first time. Third, 
Jesus, that Jesus is faithful to his promise to give power through the Holy Spirit is on display by his empowering his disciples with the tongues of men. Jews who had come from every nation of the world were out in the streets and suddenly these new spirit-filled believers of Jesus are out among them praising God, but they are not speaking just in Hebrew and Aramaic. They are speaking in languages from all over the world. All the places that these people have come from and are now in Jerusalem, they're hearing God speak into their own languages. Let me tell you, I wish I had a gift like that. I work at a food pantry. I'm out every day of the week almost with people that come from countries all over the world, and I don't have a clue what any of them are saying to me. I am really grateful for Google Translate. The disciples did not have that. No, they actually went out in the power of the Holy Spirit and were proclaiming God's glory. They were praising God, and people from all over the world understood what they were saying. And they were amazed. They were bewildered, and they were amazed, and they didn't get what was going on. They recognized these men were Galileans, and Galileans were not known for being the sharpest tools in the shed. And yet these guys were proclaiming in their own native languages. This is the power of the Holy Spirit to direct the attention of those gathered towards these men and to get them thinking about God. Do you see what the Holy Spirit's doing here? It's almost like a funnel, how he's moving them in, right? Okay, fourth, we see that Jesus is faithful to his promise to give power through the Holy Spirit, and it's seen through Peter standing up among this bewildered crowd and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus with boldness and with clarity. Friends, this is the same Peter who throughout the Gospels cannot seem to say anything right and not do anything right. He is just continually messing up. In fact, that's why we have the Gospel of Mark, to remind us how much Peter messed up. Right? This is the same Peter, right? It's the same Peter who denied Christ. It's the same Peter who quit the whole follow Jesus thing and went back to his fishing boat. It's the same, Jesus, or it's the same Peter who, who hid behind locked doors because he thought he might be the next one that they were going to come and get and arrest and put to death. So what changed? Well, the first thing that changed is that he encountered the resurrected Jesus. Amen? And when you encounter the resurrected Jesus, nothing can remain the same. But the second thing that happened is that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And when Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit, everything about Peter changes. Peter gets up now with just a boldness. He begins to proclaim the gospel. He proclaims that, that gospel with boldness in the power of the Holy Spirit. Fifth. We see that Jesus is faithful to his promise to give power through the Holy Spirit by the changing of the hearts of these devout Jews. 
Consider the words of the prophet Isaiah. Jesus 6, I mean, Jesus references them as well. In Isaiah 6, the prophet has just had this incredible experience, right? He sees the throne of God. It's amazing. It's awesome. Everybody loves to preach on the first, you know, eight verses of Isaiah 6. Throne of God. Oh. And God, you know, he's amazed. And God says, you know, who will go for me? And Isaiah, like a jack-in-the-box, pops up. Here I am! Send me! Dude, that was the biggest mistake you ever made. Do you know you're going to be sawn in half by Manasseh at the end of your life? Seriously, dude? Come on. No, but really, he stands up. And he says, here I am. Send me. And then what does it say? God says concerning the Jewish people, go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of these people dull and their ears heavy, their, blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Hundred years later? No, 800 years later? Acts 2.37. These devout Jews respond to Peter's preaching. It says that they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Friends, that is the power of the Holy Spirit. Only God, through the Holy Spirit, has the power to change men's hearts. To open blind eyes and deaf ears. And if anything makes you fall on your knees and cry out to God for his compassion and mercy, this truth should do it. My best attempt at sharing the gospel with somebody falls right there. Goes nowhere. It is meaningless. Unless God... God changes the heart of the hearer. I mean, it's not meaningless. I'm being faithful to the call that I was given, each one of us, right? But he won't do anything unless God changes the heart of the hearer. And it's why we spend so much time in intercession crying out, God, please, please be merciful. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can soften the heart and, and, and open the eyes and ears of your spouse, of your sons and daughters, your brothers and sisters, your neighbors, your co-workers. Maybe that person in the chair in front of you. Yeah, well, me, yeah. <laughs> and it's true, right? Only God can do that. And so it's why we pray and we pray and we pray and ask God for his compassion and mercy. For the power of the Holy Spirit to change the hearts of the people we're speaking to. And then with gentleness and respect, but with boldness, we declare that gospel. Sixth and lastly, 
Jesus is faithful to his promise to give power through the Holy Spirit as witnessed by 3,000 men, devout Jews, coming to faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and then being baptized as a sign of that faith. Here again, only God has the power to save and even their faith to believe is a gift from God through the Holy Spirit. That's what Ephesians tells us. Friends, when we consider these six ways that this passage displays how Jesus fulfills his promise to give power through the Holy Spirit, I hope you can practically see your own salvation in the series of events that the Holy Spirit orchestrated in your life. The people he empowered to share the gospel with you. The way that he prepared your heart and opened your eyes and opened your ears and even gave you the faith to believe. See, the power of the Holy Spirit didn't stop at Pentecost or with the last apostles. That power continues to change and transform lives. And it's the same power that you can experience as you seek to work with Jesus in making disciples and in building the church. That leads me to our last point, that Jesus is faithful in his promise to build the church. In Matthew 16, 13 through 20, Jesus asks his disciples who the crowds say that he is. They give a variety of answers. John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then he asks a more personal question. Who do you say that I am? You could have heard crickets chirp. But then Peter, because he's Peter, breaks the silence. You are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for the flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. On Pentecost, Jesus' promise to build his church, began to be fulfilled in the eyes of his disciples as 3,000 devout Jews believed and were baptized. Acts 2.41 puts it this way, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Added. They were added that day. Added to what? There wasn't a church that was there already. It's like, like, oh, 3,000 people came to faith and they got added to King of Grace today. It's a good thing. We don't have space. But what were they added to? Well, first, they were added to the number who had believed, which was about 120 people that we can figure were still following Jesus. They were, they were added to the assembly of that people. 
they became that day what we now understand to be the church. See, in chapter 2 ends with this, this beautiful picture of the church that those first believers suddenly became. Consider again how the first church is described. They were first devoted. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to prayer. That devotion to Jesus and to one another was expressed in word and deed. It was expressed around the table. It was expressed in the temple. It was expressed in the way they handled their finances. It was expressed in generosity of heart towards one another. And it was expressed in generosity of heart towards Jesus as they gave him praise and thanks for all that he had done. It resulted in them having favor among all the people. And we find that God added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, this, this picture of the early church often seems like utopia, a standard that is unreachable by any sense of the word. It seems, as I look any given day of the week, it seems daunting to me. Yet, it's here. It's in the word. Therefore, it must be true. Therefore, it must be attainable. It's what happened. It's the result of lives completely transformed by the gospel and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the result of a whole body of people operating together in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I do not think we can dismiss this as an unachievable utopian dream. I also see that in the book of Acts, the life of the church was hard. There were disputes. We find that really quickly. We get to Acts 5. It doesn't take long, right? There's disputes. There's selfishness. There's persecution. There's lots of persecution. Throughout the book of Acts, we see the gospel go forward in the power, though, of the Holy Spirit. And we see in the various letters of the apostles both how wonderful and how hard it was for people to love God and love one another. How beautiful and completely messed up the church was. But that hasn't changed. We're still Christ's bride and we are beautiful as his bride, but we're a beautiful mess. The church is still made up of people from all sorts of backgrounds who are new creations in Christ, but who are being conformed day by day into his image. It is filled with us who are being perfected, but we are not perfect yet. Spend an hour with me, talk to my wife if you need to consult whether my perfection is completed. She will attest, it is not. 
It is filled with people who love imperfectly. They, live, they love Jesus, but they love Jesus imperfectly. They, they want to love one another, but they do it imperfectly. And because of that, things get really, really messy. Just like the churches in the New Testament. But I want to say there's a great reason for hope as well. There's a great reason for us not to give up. Not to give up meeting together. Not to give up on the church as so many are wont to do these days. See, God is still at work. Jesus is still charging us to complete his mission of making disciples. And adding to them to the church is what was done in the very beginning. And it's what needs to be done today. See, Christ is still building his church. And he sends out his Holy Spirit still today to empower his people to do those very things. To build the church. To make disciples. Jesus is faithful to his promise to build his church. The Holy Spirit is evidencing his power in drawing people to God, in preparing their hearts to receive the message of the gospel, in opening blind eyes, in opening deaf ears, in giving faith to believe, in filling the hearts of new believers, and in giving them gifts so that they might build up one another in the faith, in Christ, in the church. The Holy Spirit is still active in doing all of those things because Christ is still fulfilling his promise to build the church. You, King of Grace, are a testimony that Jesus is faithful to his promise to build his church through the ongoing power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let me close by encouraging you to do four things as a result of this message. First, express your gratitude to Jesus for sending his Holy Spirit to fill your heart. Seriously, take time to do that. Two, celebrate in your heart and with your small group or with the church as a whole, with your church family, Celebrate the work of the Holy Spirit as he works with Jesus in renewing all creation of which you all are a part. How could you do that? Well, tell each other your, your stories of being able to share the gospel. Tell your own testimonies right, of what God has done, how the Holy Spirit has changed and transformed your lives. Three, Take time this week to profess your confidence and your assurance to one another that the power of the Holy Spirit is still available today for us in the mission that Christ gave us to go and make disciples, to be his witnesses. And fourth, don't give up because Jesus hasn't. Amen.